This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we are doing a special bonus episode. For the month of September. Sure, that one. That month. You remember. The 21st night of September. September. It's my birthday. I'll never forget those words. <laughs> it's it's not been your birthday for like a for week and a half. At least a week and a half. So, um, so this is our bonus episode Usually on regular non-bonus episodes and even some bonus episodes, we talk about books. This week, we're going to talk about ourselves. Yeah. Hey, everybody's favorite book, <laughs> The Book of Humanity. So we've got we've been soliciting questions for several weeks, uh, trying to get a good, uh, like, I, almost, I wanted to say dossier, but that's not the right word. Um, I'm not going to help. Don't help me. We got a pile of questions. <laughs> a big old pile of questions. And we're going to go through them. We're going to dig them and dig them out. If you are watching live, you can try and ask them in the chat. Um, if you are one of our Patreon donors, you have helped make bonus episodes happen. Thank you. Thanks. If you are uh, above the $10 tier, then you are watching this live or later when you are. Uh, get the video link so thank to you thanks to you for making this stream possible mm-hmm. andrew do you want to start with our first question yeah and so just to, for context we did one q a episode i feel like a couple years ago at this point it was like uh, 18 months ago something like that yeah um and so there were a bunch of questions we answered in that one and i went back and listened so we're not doing any duplicates but yeah. that one has a bunch of like stuff about how we met and like the genesis of the podcast and a bunch of bad early names for it that we mm. considered. So this oh, one sure. will be getting maybe a little bit more in the weeds, but I think it'll still be. Yeah. So if you've joined us in the last year and a half, if you're a new listener and you send in some questions that were more of that milieu, um, we may not answer them on this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, we probably won't in fact, but you should go back and listen to the other one. But Andrew has one. Ready to go. I got one locked and loaded. Are you ready? Hit me. All right. This is from Danielle uh, in Gmail. Um, She says, hi, Andrew and Craig. I would classify myself as a book snob in the sense that I will absolutely judge someone based on their reading preferences. However, I feel that it is important to read or at least attempt to read a book if I'm going to pass judgment on it. Um, Do you have any book bias and do you think it's necessary to give a book a chance and not simply judge a book by its cover? Hmm. What say you... Do I have book bias? I definitely have book <laughs> yeah, bias. You definitely have book bias. I listen. Bad case of the book bias. I got over a here. bad case of the book bias. It's usually like white male, like l- I have literary aspirations bias. And we've we've talked about that when we were discussing certain books. Do you have a moment where that did you always feel that way? 
do you have a is it just tied to that writing seminar that you took (laughs) it's no it's not even that it's it's um so when we part of our pitch i guess for this podcast is that we are intentionally unpretentious about our Mm, taste and about the things we read and about the discussions that we have like there's just something about like when somebody's prose is like drawing too much attention to itself or something like i just when i'm when i crack book open i kind of want to just like read someone's story Mm. and if they've set up all these barriers to get in the way of their story to prove to me that their writing is valuable sure that turns me off of it a little bit yes um sure i mean i i I prejudge it, but I do also, if I'm reading that, I will read it and I'll give it as much benefit of the doubt as I can. And some of those books I've come out like enjoying parts of at least, um, like infinite jest, I ended up really liking, even though that is the father of many of these (laughs) more recent authors. Oh, certainly. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's, that's mine. I don't know if you have one. I don't know if I have as explicit a book bias. I think there are some books that I'm actually, when we bring it to the show, I end up not being. Keep an eye on the chat. Um, yeah, no, I know. I'm taking a look. Okay. Um, I end up not being as critical about some things or uh, really diving into something because I personally, you're just adjusting your chair. Yeah. Okay. It's gone to sleep. Um, I wasn't going to call it. That. <laughs> it's, it's a video podcast yeah, today. But most people will experience um, it as an audio podcast. I am more likely to give the author just the benefit of the doubt on whatever they want to do. Um, and I'm very, I default to being very interested in kind of the formalism of what they're up to. So I think if, if I had a book bias, it's actually like. You like things too much. I might like things too much, <laughs> or I might not be. Um, perhaps as quick to be properly critical of something that's kind of bogus <laughs> because I want to give it the benefit of the doubt. I guess you're saying that your bias is that you're too unbiased or I, something. Like you you yes. are so hesitant to prejudge that sometimes you don't even post judge. The only bad thing about <laughs> me is that I'm too good. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> I don't think that we end up judging a lot of books by their cover necessarily. We judge them by their author. Yeah, in, in for the and, podcast. And many in times the author name appears on the cover well, in a position that. of prominence. <laughs> That's true. Um, you want, you had a follow up question. Uh, this comes from Lucas on Twitter. Um, Apart from literary aspirations or emotions, what about a book can instantly take you out of it? And he mostly mentioned emotions because of Andrew. Um, are there things that take you out of books other than, you know, flouncy purple language or something like that? Well, um, we recorded earlier today an episode about um, R.L. Stein's 99 Fear Street. That's true. The first horror. Yes. And um, something that that we kept coming back to again and again was that like even even for a YA like horror book from 20 years ago, the characters motivations were like insufficiently outlined. Like it, it sure th- there they were doing things that didn't make sense and they were like internally contradictory and it was just like and whatever like i know that's not the point of the book like i get it but when someone is doing something that just seems inconsistent with how the character has been drawn yeah. so far yeah. i i i get pulled out of that and also one of the side effects of doing this show is that i will occasionally get pulled out of a book 
not for a bad reason necessarily, not for something that's wrong with the book. But just because you're thinking about how to talk about it? Yeah, or I'm deliberately trying to find a thing to like make a joke about or make a reference to so that we can have a like lively conversation for the listener. Uh-huh. Um, but that means that I might like get uninvested from a scene because I'm like too busy making a joke about an 80s TV show or something, <laughs> sure. which is not helpful. I also just wanted to take a moment to mention that I don't like that my brand is that I'm an emotionless robot who hates everything. So <laughs> like I, I fully understand my misanthropic reputation and I guess I should just embrace it, but also it hurts my feelings. Okay. A okay. Um, Yeah. You've cultivated it, and now I've caught. Like I didn't mean to cultivate it. I was sure. just being me, and because we have an hour podcast, I think maybe I emphasize that side of things a little bit, and then that is just the picture of me that people have. So. Well, and it's also a picture drawn in in uh, uh, reaction to my cartoon. That self. is that is true. If we were so. both enthusiastic about everything, it would be a very different podcast. If we were both misanthropic about everything, it would be a very different podcast. That is true. It's All these books are like, drunk. Man, man, we would quit doing it like episode 20. Every book is terrible. Let's just quit. Um, let's move on. Valerie on Twitter um, asks, have you ever counted and tracked how many books you've read by women versus men, uh, white people versus people of color, etc., across a few categories of demographics? And... Um, I think this goes back to, we recorded an episode with our friend um, Catherine Fritz about uh, Roxane Gay's Bad Feminist, and she had done that work for our episodes up to that point, and I think we, were, we weren't awful, but we were something like, like 35, 65. Yeah. Like women to men, and so Craig, like this is something that you primarily keep up with, but... Um, we program the show out a couple months in advance, usually at this point, between like Patreon books and just wanting to make sure that we read a couple well-known things to mix in with like the more obscure things. Um, Craig maintains a spreadsheet that is like, what? Who is the author? Like, are they a man or a woman or neither? Or uh, like, are they a person of color? Like, what? What's the other stuff in that spreadsheet that you've? Got? That's really it. That's it's, really it. Yeah, yeah. we're tracking. Uh gender of author somebody for a while was was keeping track of um page or word i think it was yeah, page count yeah to, mostly as a competition yeah, for us right i think i won last year <laughs> yeah i but... think you won last year <laughs> i think i might have won the year before because i did lord of the rings and then the year after you did yeah. infinite jest yeah, yeah yeah um since we started this is a really rough estimate since we started keeping track of this we didn't go back and do it for a back catalog we started at episode 101 um, and this is a rough estimate, but about 95 of the 170 or so episodes since then, maybe 160, um, are listed as men or male authors. And then the other like 70, uh, are women. And then there's a couple that are both or neither mm -hmm. mixed in there, depending on how we structured the episode. Okay. Um, so it's not quite 50, 50. It's way better than it was. Yeah. Um, and we're 50 -50 still 50, 50 is, is something we... I think aspire to and don't always get. And some of that is not always in our control because, you know, when we, when we bump Patreon books up the list, like we don't, we can't say whether the author is, is one way or the other, but um, 
we do if we do notice that we're in like a dude streak then we will try you and cur- get we me will- out of this dude streak <laughs> i hate the dude we streak will try and, and correct for that we're not as great about people of color which is something like i just i don't i don't love it i don't know do you have any like thoughts on on I that it's probably don't. something we could we could do better about if we just sat down and like really tried yeah, hard to I, to do it one of the things that we're always balancing is books that are well known and not and so i think when folks are like talk about my favorite book from 70 years ago uh-huh. chances are the author is white mm-hmm. um which is just an issue of the publishing industry for the last several centuries yeah um so as we do newer authors we're certainly very careful to make sure we balance them and yeah we we look when we we look at every month and we're like how can we make this a slightly more balanced month than right. the month that came before um, and like you said, from Patreon suggestions, we have to kind of, that's sometimes why we don't move as quickly through those as we would like. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're, we're trying to balance things like there, there are three or four factors every time we sit down to do a month of programming. And yeah, one of them is one of them's author diversity. One is like well-known versus less well-known because, um, because man, you, know, you made me look at the screen and I got, sorry, you it gotta was gotta flickering. It sorry. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, one is one is author diversity. One is um, well known versus less well known because there is a traffic difference, like in terms of yeah, downloads. Sure, and, and like because we want to keep the show growing, we we try and make sure that there are a couple like easy tent poles for like new listeners to come in and, and land on, um, and then move on to like if then the next week is a book you haven't heard of, like great, yeah, right, and kind of go back and forth that way. So. Yeah. It's a thing that we're working towards, and that's a great question, and, and folks should keep asking us that question um, and suggesting books from more diverse authors. You want another one? Yeah. You want to reread it, or should yeah. I read it? Um, Lauren from Instagram would like to know more about how you guys work. You say you're rarely in the same room. How does that work? It would be interesting to know how much you prep for each episode in addition to reading the book and doing the author research. We're in the same room now, and it's We're in weird. the same room now, and it's, it's a strange vibe. It's... <laughs> <laughs> if you can't tell typically we are when we're recording um craig's at his house and i'm at my house and it's probably 11 to 11 30 <laughs> the sunday before we do a lot right before up. post up yeah mm-hmm. um and yeah like like most of it is just reading the book and then usually the person who didn't read the book goes a little bit heavier on the author research just to like balance out the work we are each doing for each show yep um but yeah, most of it, I guess, is just rapport. Um, a lot of it's rapport, and, and certainly that's improved. Some of it was naturally there because of us knowing each other, and some of it we've developed over the life of the show in terms of how to talk about a book. And, yeah, right. Um, um, yeah, that was that was something, I think, after our first live show that we did, yeah. like, one of our friends came up and was like, hey, I didn't know how much you edited the show, but that sounded pretty much just like the show that you yeah. did. And like, sometimes I'll edit for a pause if we have to look something up or if one of us says something just like catastrophically stupid <laughs> and wrong. Um, but otherwise you're, yeah, the, the, it's not a, it's not a heavy edit that we do. No. And we've certainly learned what things we like to edit out if they do happen. Yeah. Right. Um, and in terms of prep, yeah, it really depends on the book. Like when we went into, we, when we go into plot heavy books, we tend to just let the other person know if it's helpful for the other person to know about the book or not. Uh-huh. If we're doing a thematic one, we might toss questions at the other person ahead of time. 
a lot of times we don't. A lot of times you read a couple interviews. We're just looking at the audience. A lot of times you read a couple interviews from the author, and then that can give you a good sense of what the other person's book is going to be about. Yeah, like sometimes I'll, I'll read author interviews. Sometimes I'll read just the reviews of the of the books if if it like showed up in yeah. the in the New York Times or or um, Kirkus or whoever it is. Um, and in terms of yeah, like we at this point. And this is something Patreon's helped us do is we've we've managed to buy enough equipment that we just have like standing mini studios at our desks at this point. Like we we used to like I used to have like a USB mic in my closet that I would dig out every week. But now we both have like mic arms attached to my desks, our desks, and they just swing down. It's nice. And we have um, little like preamp things Mm -hmm. and it's it all feels very professional. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Uh, Our next question Andrew, yeah, you want to hit me? Uh, yes, as soon as I pull the app back up. Um, this is from Mary-Kate on Twitter. Which books have made you cry? I'm an emotionalist robot, and I've cried twice in... I know I've cried twice since 2008. One was in 2008, and one was November 9th. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and that's been, like, it for me. Like, I don't... I laugh a lot when I'm like watching TV, but in terms of like emotional responses that I have when I'm consuming media, like crying it does is not, not really get you. No, yeah, no, no, sure. No. It's just not how I respond to stuff. Um, I'm a weepy puddle of mess. So it's true. He's right. Uh, I don't. I can't think of the of the last book that made me cry. I don't think one for the show has necessarily. I do have an immediate answer when I was in middle school and I read the book <laughs> Across Five Aprils, which is a Civil War, like, Newbery Award book. Uh, I don't remember exactly even what happened in that book, mm-hmm. but it got to the end and I just started crying. Like, I closed the book and I just started weeping and I, like, went to my mom and I was like, am I good? Like, <laughs> am I good? <laughs> I don't even remember what I was upset about. Um, I'm fairly certain there were parts of Infinite Jest that got me a little weepy. Um, I was working too hard to cry yeah, through that book, I that's think. that's true. Um, and what else? And I, I will uh, become teary in, in movies and uh, TV and, and theater sure. pretty easily if it's good and I'm with it. Susanna is, is more of a... TV movie weeper when something sure. when something gets her, but uh, yeah, yeah, the, not me. The last big one, shout out to this is us fans out there. The uh, the push up scene in season one with uh, sure. Randall yeah, sure. in the dojo with the push ups uh-huh. that got me good. I just had to go. I went to the kitchen and like cried at the sink. I like, appreciate I that. Away. This is us is generally a, a well made show, but it I. It's one of those things, and this is to go back to the, another question, like something else that can bring me out of a book or a work of fiction mm. is if it's just too tonally samey. Like uh, across the board? Yeah, like like sure. I, I watched the Star Trek Discovery, like the first two episodes of that, and I thought, I generally think I liked it more than, than some on the internet liked it. But, sure. But um, if it had a weakness, it was that it turned the like suspense and melodrama up to eleven and just like left it there. If mm. you don't, if you don't have peaks and valleys, that's something that can really wear on me after a while. That's a good. That's a good answer. Yeah. So, um, um you want the next one? Yeah, Andrew. This is from Grace on Twitter. How'd uh-huh. you meet your wife? My wife. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> we were at the movie Borat. 
and we were all laughing so much at the at the movie Borat because it was such a funny movie. And I turned to the person next to me and I said, my wife. And she was like, very nice. And that's, it was true love at first sight. (laughs) That's the story you're going with? (laughs) You monster. (laughs) We had an English class our freshman year of college. And I thought she had pretty eyes and looked kind of like Liv Tyler. And I was dating someone else at the time. And so it didn't go anywhere. And then like two years later... Three years later, mm-hmm. like two years later, we came, became friends. Another year after that, we started dating. And that's basically the thing. The rest is history. Yeah. There are other like nuances to that story I'm not going to get into on air. But uh, no. yeah, that's the that's the short version. Uh, I met Laura here in Philadelphia. I had moved in with a bunch of guys uh, in my first apartment away from home. <laughs> and within six months, all of us found our forever partners. My... <laughs> I know you meeting your wife is a big deal. My favorite thing about your first apartment is how I convinced you would never, they got a keg for some party. This is not. And you had never, ever done any kind of keg stand, but I convinced all your new roommates that you had done them in college so many times that we all called them Craig stands. And so that's their headcanon now is that they're Craig stands. Yeah. They can't even remember whether or not you were making that up. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, no, I met my wife uh, through my roommate who was dating or trying to date at that time. I don't remember uh, her roommate and best friend from college. And then we all got together and then we all swapped roommates. And then a couple years later, got married. Yeah. Um, but she also works in theater in Philly. Uh, so it, it was easy to like find a similar group of friends and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but they've both been on the show and they're great. You should go listen to their episodes if you haven't. Yeah, uh, they did. They did "E Pray Love" together, and then separately we did um, "Count of Monte Cristo" with Suze and I, and then you did "March March" with yeah. Laura. Yeah. Um, Julio on Facebook asks, um, "What reasons would you guys have to not feature a book, or are there certain books that you've agreed that you that just won't be featured?" Um, do you want what do you The first criteria is if both of us have read it that is usually a strike against it. Yeah. We have found creative solutions around that like our really fun episode that we did with the folks up at Librarian is in. Um, Guest episodes has been the easiest way to circumvent that. Yes. Um for what is it going to be November? November of this month. November of this month is going to we're just going to do cheat month and we're going to read like a bunch of huge books that people have been asking us for asking for us to read forever and we just haven't because we that would technically break the, the cardinal rule. rule of the show. Yeah. Um and we're going to deliberately read things that we have read like yes. i'm not going to read one of you like a book that's dear to you we're reading but you'll see the schedule yeah yeah, yeah. It'll be, it's a good sketch um it's a good it's a good sketch that's the main thing and then other other than that i don't know what the criteria are other than you know we're always bemoaning the longest books ever yeah and figuring out how to fit the really necessary ones in is, is a chore, that that also you know? is part of programming the show that we didn't talk that's about true. is is we try really really hard not to not to do like two super long ones in a month and not to have like not to read two long ones in a row or whatever like we we try and balance length with everything else um another quite we got from caleb on twitter have you ever thought about doing a famous book of poetry and how would that work um 
poetry is, I think, one of the kinds of books we just generally stay away from. Like, I think it would just be too hard to have the the conversation that we have. And 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 for poetry, I, I think it's one of those things where being a lay person does really damage your ability to to get it. Yeah. And to, and to discuss it. There are a couple ways off the top of my head I could think that we like we would have to do things differently about the show to get it done. Um I think Andrew, we would have to both read it. We might, depending on the length of the poem, we might need to like put it up on the website. I feel like that's a thing that would be less enjoyable for a listener because they it's hard you can't just like rattle the plot at them. It's you know, it's a lot of it's a lot more nebulous discussion. Yeah, I mean we we did the Raven once, right? We did the Raven. But uh-huh. that's that's like a longer like narrative poem. Like, We'd have like to do something you, like that. If you yeah. if we were to do like and we're not going to do this, but if we were to do like the Odyssey or something. Ooh. Like some kind of, of longer poetic that type could work. thing. It, it would have to it would have to be a relatively meaty story with like a just like a through line. Like it would have to be telling one. Oh, let's story. do the wasteland. Let's do T. S. Eliot's The Wasteland. All right, maybe. No, we no. <laughs> I thought Andrew was gonna know what I was talking about, and he clearly has nope and it's a bad idea. We no, should. let's do it. Maybe. No. Um, there was one other, so, um, and I don't, I honestly don't even know if this person, um, donates anymore, but at the, I, I for the $5 level, have we ever like more than once or twice just told somebody, Hey, no, we don't think this book will work. Cause there was, um, somebody who emailed us a couple months ago asking us to read a, um, Oh, like a really a book by like, like so, a like, book that had come out like a month ago by some like conservative poli-sci writer slash media personality person and um and we said no like not necessarily because like the person pitched it to us because like oh you guys are obviously more liberal and i want you to read this thing because it'd be interesting to hear you talk about it um and i don't i don't think that's wrong but i also don't like one like this is a project that of that we do because we like to do it and like we just don't like we we spend a lot of the day, I think, immersed in news, and this is a bit of an outlet from that. But also, like we have done a couple of politically episodes, but mostly, I think we try to keep the politics of the show like implied rather than yeah overt. And if someone has suggestions along that vein, I think we wrote back to this person saying as much. So if you are listening and just are like waiting to get back to us, I think we were looking for maybe as a replacement, like a more foundational text. Yeah. Would yeah. Be something that wasn't like one person's reactionary opinion to that like political moment in time. Yeah. If that, if that makes sense, like it's a fine distinction, but I think we would, we would know what we wanted. And if you can also, if, any, if you've gone back and listened to any, any episode we've done, that's nonfiction. We've learned to be very careful with how we do nonfiction. Cause yeah, it can, there was a moment when you read bossy pants. That, that was a tough just episode. Kind of, that we just kind of broke down. We're like, I don't know if this is working. And that got edited out of the, yes. of the final episode. But, but um, that was t- tough because a lot of the mid of uh, the meat of that episode became, here's a funny thing that Tina Fey said. It was not as easy to have a discussion. Um, Albie just points out in the chat that your story about me and my apartment mates is going to help my brand. So, thanks. Hashtag, hashtag Craig Stand. Hey, I'm going to leave the spelling up to you. Get it going. Listener. Um, this is, oh, this is a question for me from Joseph. Um, 
my question is, you did an adaptation of The Handmaid's Tale on stage at some point, if I recall, and considering the recent TV series, I was wondering how you felt about adapting it, or how you went about adapting it, how you portrayed things, what you changed, and how it differs from the book and the TV show. Um, did you watch the TV show? I did watch the I did TV wa- show. Okay, cool. Because you so don't, watch as, you don't watch as much TV as I do. But no, I don't. Okay, so you have you, watched that yeah. one. Um, that was interesting. That was a, a project I did here in Philly about two years ago. The script was uh, already extant. It was the one that they were allowed to do from Miss um, Atwood's people. Like it was basically <laughs> uh, a guy took the book and cut enough out of it to make a two-hour play. Yeah. Um, and it's what the book is essentially with some a handful of scenes edited out lightly and then a lot of other stuff just trimmed, not even really reordered. And is it is it intent? Is that always intended to be a one person show or that is that just how you did it? No, that script was written to be a okay. one woman show, uh, which I personally thought was very helpful because not much else was changed. Uh, I think the TV show was for the most part, successful of, of branching out. I talked out. about that a bit yeah. on, on the TV podcast. I, I also thought it was mostly successful, um, but the music choices were bad, and, and we had some concerns about... like we, we thought the show wasn't at its strongest when it was like, well, how are the men doing in this world? Though? Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's true. And that was an advantage of it being a one-woman show was that we didn't have to break what i think is one of the most central conceits of that book is that it's all her point of view Mm -hmm. uh so we were able to maintain that uh we tried to keep it so that she was never like overtly playing characters it was always her like spin on it though i would say the toughest thing to translate and we might never have even really solved it is that the book after you get to the end is revealed that it's a bunch of tapes that she has like spoken into right there's like an epilogue yeah um, that it's like people have been pouring over primary documents there's no way to do that on a stage and have it be compelling and it's left out of the script entirely yeah which is fine but some of the language then gets a little weird from a logical point of view yeah Um, but that that production and i think the the actor who you who you guys picked did a really really solid job job with it but it it depends it really, really relies because it's a one-person show, but she is portraying. Make sure that doesn't foam up on you. <laughs> she is portraying like multiple characters. She's having conversations with herself. Yeah, sometimes. which was tough. Which is tough. And to communicate that, the actor has to be really, really good at switching context and like conveying to the audience, "Hey, this is a different character that's talking now." Yeah. Yeah, Lots of so. tricks. Mm-hmm. We also did it. We did it on a rotating stage, which uh, was very. I love a good rotating stage. It you was, know, it was f- <laughs> what? I love it. Just rotate it. it Turn was, it around. Let me it, see the other side. Whoa! It was fun. It was a challenge. There were things I'd do differently. There were things I liked a lot, but not the rotating stage part. There were things I would do differently about the rotating stage. Okay, but the rotating stage would stay. We can all agree we love a good rotating stage. <laughs> yeah. Spin me round, baby, on this rotating Whoa. stage. I don't know what's happening. Um, Charlotte and uh, Gabrielle ask sort of the same question here. Um, this is from Gmail. If you could live in the world of any of the books you've read recently, which would you choose? I don't know that I have a good answer off the top of my head, but what do you think? Jurassic Park. I would just... 
Not the end of Jurassic Park. Not the beginning. I want to hang out with the dinosaurs. You want to hang out with at, at a well-managed, safe version of Jurassic yes, Park, I which I think defeats the purpose of Jurassic at Park. At Jurassic Park before everything breaks. That's where I want to and be. And then leave like right bef- like the day before. Yeah. <laughs> And then yes. read, and then read in the news about what happened oh, at Jurassic gosh, Park. Oh that was so. I thought I that saw could have that been tri- me. Yeah, I and you saw could that Triceratops. Yeah, so you get so one, you get to see the dinos, and in the moment feel totally safe. Two, you get like a, a renewed appreciation for how fragile life is and oh, how that yeah. sweet lawyer got killed. I had a drink with him at the bar, yeah. like that kind of thing. Jurassic Park has a bar in it. Why not? I don't know. What would Wouldn't it there? be called? There Ooh. would be a very good bar in Jurassic Park, I think. The, the, well, they'd probably, the Cretasty Cafe <laughs> would be where you would go. And all the drinks would have cool dinosaur names. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Pretty nerd nonsense. Like what about Tyrannosaurus you? Tyrannosaurus Sex on the Beach. Oh, no. <laughs> Do you want to live in any book that you've read? Um, Do you want to go live on that dying planet that George R. Sure. <laughs> That one, I would again. I would. I would. It would be cool to live on a planet like that while it was good, and then leave once it started drifting too far away from the sun. That's true. That's true. That's true. Um, um, all right. So next question. Oh, this. <laughs> I keep getting the questions for I will, me. I, I, I will do this. And we'll okay. It up. Uh, Tyler from Gmail says. Andrew has another podcast he is a part of based on Round TV Talk. That is Appointment Television, a podcast about the TV you want to make time for at atvpodcast.com. My question is, Craig, why are you slacking off with only one successful podcast? (laughs) And they did put successful in scare quotes. Thanks, Tyler. Which, thanks, Tyler. Thanks, thanks, Ty. It's good to know you got our back. I don't... (laughs) I don't think I have the time. I don't know that you have the time to do two podcasts. You've made the time. I've made the time. Um, I didn't. I, I have sometimes not had the time, but on balance, I make the. I can find the sure. time somewhere. Um, it is also uh, uh, with your last job, you were very busy, but it was also more likely than not that I w- would have other extracurriculars mm-hmm. that eat up my time. Or you know, if I'm in a show, your your time, your schedule, and this is somewhat true of my schedule, but more of yours. Like you have like fast periods and and, and slow periods, periods. yeah, sure. And so, like to to do something that you need to produce consistently every week, like that's you have to you have to act as though you're always going to be in a busy period yeah, and that's like true. make time based on that rather than and also something that you are that you are more plugged into in general like you are on the internet more often for your job like in terms of or you were anyway when you were on the news beat I mean um, I still I still am because that still is tied to a lot of stuff I'm doing but yeah go, go ahead uh, my point being is that and also with having your two other co-hosts on that show that can kind of support i don't know who i would need to do a show with or want to do a show with that could like do some of that both emotional and brand lifting Mm -hmm. that you have aid from if that makes sense yeah right um considering we the effort that we put into in brain space that we dedicate to this show just 
in terms of getting the word out about the show and making sure we have live shows to do and all that. Like, I'm just making and making sure it sounds good and making sure that it, it's it. I don't want. I don't want to say making sure that it's good, but like making sure that it is what we have been doing this whole time, uh, yes, which yes. people seem to like. I um, that does not not take time, and so you have you started a show because also that was another thing that you wanted to talk about. If I were going to do another podcast, the only other thing I think I care about enough to want to make time for, it would have to be a sports podcast. Sure. But that would also be hard to do because then that eats into time. I don't know how sports writers have time to write about sports and watch all the sports they need to watch. <laughs> I think it's because it's their job. <sighs> but I mean, I will say like, so with Overdue, like we we have turned it into a business. Like it's, It wasn't it's always, not, yeah. It's not something that could support either or both mm-hmm. of us no but it is but if you want to but if you want to hit us up um but it is a business like we do we are an llc in pennsylvania like mm-hmm. we do taxes like mm-hmm. we, <laughs> we we are adults we this do this podcast is an adult we do businessy things and with atv like i have the space to watch the tv because i like watching tv anyway and I have time to like record it and edit it and hang out with them and like discuss like in general like directional stuff. But we haven't we don't have a Patreon. We haven't been able to do any businessy stuff because it's not something like I I can't make time for it. And neither of like Catherine had a second baby like it six also months is, like four or five months ago. And, and Margaret is just well, Margaret has a whole uh, a other woman business. about town. Yeah, <laughs> she, but that podcast is a, like a wonderful meeting place for all three of your kind of online brands and habits. Sure. Yeah. Um, and for it to to, I I don't have another one of those. Um, yeah. The the, the, the plan eventually is is to to make that one like profitable, I guess, as well. But yeah, it's um. It's, Suffice to say, that, that's what I haven't had time to do. So it does take time. Andrew puts a lot of time into his other podcasts, and I don't. I I don't. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh. Um, Craig, what are your favorite plays and musicals, and least favorite and guilty pleasures? That's from Natalie. Thanks, and Natalie. My favorite play might be Eurydice by Sarah Rule. The Pillow Man by Martin McDonough is also up there. Um. Those are like 10 years old, so I feel like there should be something more recent. But uh, I also really enjoy Long Day's Journey into Night by Eugene O'Neill. Um, my favorite musicals, I don't have as many favorite musicals. I didn't grow up listening to them in the same way that a lot of people who go into theater do. Yeah, I'm not huge on, on musicals generally. I did get really into Hamilton, as I think a, lot of, great. a lot of people yeah. did. Um, yeah, that would be a cop-out answer. I mean, Hamilton is wonderful and... To say it's my favorite feels very easy. It's probably not untrue, but yeah, it does feel easy. Uh, I really like Parade by Jason Robert Brown. So there you go. Um, my least favorite, I don't know that I have a least favorite. That seems mean. There are plays and musicals that I've seen that I don't like. Oh, is, um, there, is there a type of play that you really don't like? Uh, no. Again, I'm, I'm generally up for whatever, as long as it's not done poorly. <laughs> but there's older stuff that I just can't truck with. I can't truck with South Pacific. If you can truck with ring, South ring, Pacific. Ring, with the trolley. That's, ding, 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 with the bell. Which one's that? I don't um, I don't know. Is that it? I don't know. Someone help us. It's a bad, it's a bad <laughs> musical. Hold on. You keep talking while I... Uh, I can't truck with... Um, 
with that. And there, there's older stuff like that that I really can't get with. Um, guilty pleasures. I really, you know, I worked on the last five years. Meet me in St. Louis. Meet me in St. Louis. All mm-hmm. right. Well, I hate that one. <laughs> is that also the one with Gary Indiana I, in it? Uh, no, that's um, Music Man. Man, I don't, I don't like musicals. <laughs> Is the moral? Oh, of the here's story. my guilty pleasure, Andrew. <laughs> okay, all right, fine. In high school, I saw an HBO filmed version of a stage production of Jekyll and Hyde the musical, <laughs> starring the dude from Baywatch. What's his name? Um, the main one. Yeah. Oh, David Hasselhoff. Starring David Hasselhoff Whoa. as Jekyll and Hyde. I, <laughs> I don't think that musical's great. It has an edge that fit my high school self very well. Um, he was probably terrible, but I enjoyed it anyway. So that's my guilty pleasure. There you go. Um, Andrew, this comes in from Ronnie at Gmail. Uh, how did you feel about Bob Dylan being awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature? While I think that it's great that the that uh, the often fairly narrow definition of, quote, literature is expanding to include more non-traditional media, I also think that there were some very deserving, quote, career authors of truly remarkable literature who might have merited the award as much, if not more. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You said you might have an opinion on this. My my opinion is basically like if in good faith they were trying to expand the definition of literature to encompass more things, that's great. But to do it and then give it to Bob Dylan <laughs> is like, won't someone please, please pay attention to us, please? Sure. What if we gave it to Bob Dylan? And then what if he was kind of a jerk about it mm-hmm. and in so doing only generated more publicity? for the Nobel Prize for Literature. Yeah, that, I feel like... <sighs> I don't, like, this doesn't keep me up at night or no, anything, it doesn't. but I do think it's, like, pretty dumb. It's a little weird. They they just, like, they make a dumb decision every once in a while. Like, I, I thought giving the Peace Prize th- to Obama in, like, 2009 or whenever it was they did it I was, think that was, was also dumb. A bad decision. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that was really weird. There's a there's a bit of buying advice that that we at the wire cutter like usually give people and it's like don't buy something based on what you want it to be or oh, what no. you think it may become in the future. Yes. And we are we are generally fans of his presidency, but he enjoyed drone strikes. I don't know if like enjoyed is the word. I think I think the the Tactically. thing the thing to say is that too much or just a lot of his foreign policy was a continuation of what was happening before and yes. like and that wasn't that's not they gave that what award, a lot of people voted for it I think. seemed like they gave that award to what he meant to a lot of people mm-hmm. as opposed to what he had done which was largely nothing because it was the second year of his presidency yeah exactly um, <laughs> But as not for, to get political in general, again, I think but... the the Bob Dylan thing feels like a thing that, uh, to a lesser extent, every televised award show seems to be grappling with, which uh-huh. is in an era where people, yeah, in an era where people are indifferent or outright hostile to the opinions of experts and gatekeepers and gatekeepers. Yeah. How do you have an award show that the celebration of creators is a worthwhile cause? But the standards by which you're measuring them are constantly under question. Who's in power to even make these decisions is under question. Um, you see that every year with, with stuff like the Emmys and, and the Grammys and Tonys and all the other awards that mm-hmm. you could have. Um, Andrew? Um, so we're getting down to like the last 15 minutes or so. Yeah. So just, just to let just you know keep where on we are time-wise. Yeah. 
Um, you hit me. You hit me with this next one, Andrew. Okay. We got a couple from Graham. You wanted to pick one or two. Um, so Graham from Gmail asks, um, "What's the most unexpected fan interaction you've had since becoming podcast celebrities?" And it's it's this is one that didn't have anything in scare quotes. So thanks for that, Graham. <laughs> I appreciate the, it. I, I thought of two. One was when we did that panel for Book Riot, mm-hmm. and uh, the mom uh, of my friend from high school came to okay. see us. That was a little strange. She that was really sweet. You <laughs> know, well, it was really sweet, son, but just like what? Well, and her son lives in New York, so uh-huh. she was visiting him and decided to come see us, which was awesome. And then the other one was when we did our um bunny show the live show in philly oh uh watership down yes and we got to sign some copies of that book for folks yeah that was pretty yeah that was nice anything else for you uh one is just that my mother-in-law listens to every single show what up and she's very dear to my heart and i really appreciate it and i don't like get it but i'm happy that she does sure (laughs) um Full-size Eggo waffles or mini Eggos. This also is from Graham. Full-size, absolutely, because when you're getting the mini Eggos, like, there's all that space that that you waste, like, with air and, like, the connective tissue between the Eggos. It's just a lot of lot of wasted space. Now, Andrew. What? How often do you make, make Eggos and just eat them out of the toaster? Most breakfasts. Most Eggos. What? Not plain ones, though. Right? Oh, yeah. Strawberry. I'll, I do strawberry screw ones. Screw that. I'll just eat a plain Eggo. Just shove Ew, it in my no. mouth. No, I mean, I, I shove them in my mouth, but I, don't just, I won't do it with just like a homestyle Eggo. Yes, it's got I a, will. Really? Not yeah. even like cinnamon or no. chocolate chip? If This is a thing. If I want oh, Eggos, man. that's the flavor I want. I want just like, Eggos. Just ugh. want to nosh on it. I Like, the flavor is fine, but like, I need a little... I need, I need something, but I don't want to take... The time, and I don't want to dirty a plate yeah. with like syrup and stuff. So that's yep. why I get the strawberry ones because there's like those little pockets of the mm. sugar in there. I will often toast them a little more than is probably intended mm-hmm. to get a little crunch and a little bit of that char on it. <laughs> get a good char on your egos. Welcome to cooking with Craig. <laughs> We're grilling egos today. <laughs> grilling them. <laughs> that's innovative. Uh, speaking of food, Lawrence asked on Twitter, what are your favorite types of foods to eat while reading and why? Do you enjoy eating while reading, reading while eating? I am. I, and I said this to Craig before and made him laugh. I'm more of a drinker, honestly. <laughs> In general, you said. This is like, this is one of, actually one of my more favorite things to do is I'll go to one of the local bars at like 1130 or midnight and I'll just sit there and I'll read for an hour because it'll be mostly pretty quiet and I can like carry on like a light conversation with a bartender about like, oh, hey, what's, what's good? What do you like? And also sometimes people will be there and you'll just like strike up a conversation about whatever you're reading or something. So like that's... And you're away from your house, which can be distracting because it's full of Mario. No, I'm away from my house, which I work from home and so I'm here most of the time. And so it's nice just to go out and like bathe in the presence of other human beings. (laughs) That's Andrew in a bar bathing in your presence. Yeah, basking in it. Um, I don't often eat while reading. Uh, I did do that the other day. I was at lunch and I was by myself, so I was I was eating some dumplings. But that's not like a favorite <laughs> reading. I was at a dim sum place <laughs> reading Stephen King. What are you gonna do? So they go hand in hand. Um, uh-huh. But 
I, I will often, if I'm reading on like a weekend, I'm usually just sitting with a cup of coffee. Um, that's my, that's my reading The thing about jam. eating while reading is I'm usually on an iPad or a Kindle. And I guess even if I was reading a regular book is I'm just, I would probably get stuff on the book. Yes. It has to be something that I can, and at a table situation mm-hmm. where I can just like have the Kindle on the table and just like click on it with a finger to, to move pages. Yeah. Um, what else? What's right. next? Uh, Maria from Gmail says, which book series or author has been the most important to you each decade of your life? Uh, why and how? So, and she goes on to to note that we have talked about Lord of the Rings and Orson Scott Card and stuff that we've read as kids. So we've each been alive for three full decades. Can you come up and with... a little bit of change, but not very much yeah, yet. Yeah. Um, can you come up with three books, one for each decade? That's pretty important to you. Um, for the first decade, I'm trying to think when I read Narnia, I think Ooh. I would have been reading that like right around like nine, 10, 11. Mm-hmm. So that's close. That's the um, upper range of that. Probably for the, yeah, the first decade would be Narnia. The second decade would be. This concludes high school. Keep that I know, in mind. I know. Like the, t- like early decade, definitely the Red Wall books because my mom got me like the first two oh, or three sure. of those for yeah. Christmas, and I just read tons and tons of them, even though they're all basically the same book. Yeah. Um, Wheel of Time's in contention for late in that decade and early in the next decade. Um, let me think about the twenties one for a minute, but you'd go now. Yeah. So, uh, my first decade, uh, I have very fond memories of a children's book called "Are You My Mother." Oh, man. Yeah, I remember that one. It's like a bird asking a a dog if it's his mom. (laughs) Ask everybody. That's a lost bird looking for its mom. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a book I have fond memories of. My first ever book that I read myself was Green Eggs and Ham. That's a good book. Yeah, that's a good one. I read a lot of Berenstain Bears as a kid. He read also a lot of Berenstain Bears. Um, When you get into my second decade, I don't know where the line is when I started reading a lot of Star Wars books. I read a (laughs) lot of Star Wars books. Uh, sure did and then that actually led into me reading a lot of Orson Scott Card at, going into high school like late middle school into high school so there's a lot of that in high school I don't know what I I really don't know what I was reading for fun in high school I was doing a lot of different stuff I started working so maybe I wasn't reading as much for fun I had a couple of fun English classes so I was like ooh Vonnegut ooh sure. Faulkner ooh, you know but like that, yeah, that's my my problem in in the in the twenties decade is for a lot of it I was reading for school yeah sure and then I just wasn't reading for and a then while. we did a podcast and then we did a podcast and so like the podcast is definitely like super important though it's not really it doesn't exactly answer the question no I would say um, I would say Infinite Jest for my twenties because that was towards the end of. So it took your entire 20s to read it. <laughs> there was a period of time right after I got out of school and I started working at the theater I work at now and I was mostly working backstage and there would be shows where I had a lot of downtime. And so I did a lot of reading and that was a book that took me a long time, had a lot of good conversations about and really defines for me when I look back at those couple years, like that's a thing I spent a lot of time with. Mm-hmm. Um and I've I has since like shaped a lot of, of how I think about some stuff. So that for me is up there. I think I I'm finding myself with lots and lots of conflicting answers for the teen decade. Sure. And no like 
no knock answer. them out of the park answer for 20s that's reasonable like in my my teen decade i've got like uh, neil gaiman's sandman series oh, yeah. of, of comics um i've got lord of the rings i've got red wall got wheel of time um but yeah for my 20s i mean i guess wheel of time concluded in my 20s so i could slide that into that slot Mm. because I spent a couple years of that decade rereading that series in anticipation of it finally being done. Sure. Um, but I don't, I feel like, I don't feel like it was like a thing that def- defined or it was like the most important to me for that decade. Okay. Um, Seems reasonable. Yeah, yeah. That's the best answer I've got for that one. I did read a few D and D books in high school. Are you talking about like the monster manual or no, are you talking, talking about, about like novels. fiction like, set in like Neverwinter yeah, or whatever? Like let's nerd. go to Forgotten Realms and read about Drizzt Dewardin, the Drow Ranger. Nerd check. <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, this email comes in from Keishan, uh, who's uh, asks about moving from Oklahoma to Houston. Uh, and the meat of the question is, how did you guys adjust to life after college? And what would you guys recommend for someone that's 22 and, uh, what does that say? Not having not a clue having where life is taking them. You moved around. I came right home to basically where I'm from. So I don't yeah. know that I have quite the answer to this. But what do you what do you think? Man, that first year after college, I think, was rough for just, all of us. And, yeah. it's, and it's rough for a lot of people because you go from not only like being around your friends like all the time and hanging out with them constantly to like not doing that, but also you go from living in this situation where you're just like surrounded by people who are around your age and at around the same time in their life as you. And then you go out into the real world where everything is just all over the place. Yeah. Um, for us, um, I don't like this person doesn't mention a lot of, uh, yeah, like says it says that their friends are are still um, back in Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma. Something that seriously, because I I was in Ohio, so I was like super far away from everyone who they all went back to the west or the east coast mostly. Um, but yeah, like f- talking to some friends and starting some kind of creative project really helped. Like I, for us, it was a it was like a blog that we did for a while. Um, that laid a lot of the groundwork for, for what this. made overdue yeah, yeah, yeah. very easy to do. Yes, yeah, for right. sure. Um, but yeah, like it, it can it can just be re- it can be really easy to drift away from those friends and like not talk to them much anymore. And like for the first like year or so, just like fight that that impulse to drift. Like make sure you hang out with them, make sure you talk with them, make sure you see them. And then as you get a little bit older and you get more like comfortable in your career path and as you learn a little bit more about what you want to do in life, like I think the the rest of things will follow. Sure. Like don't don't feel like you need to like move on from that group of friends or or, or something just because you're situation has changed i guess yeah and keishan mentions moving to pursue an mba so that i would also like look at what opportunities are available to you through that process um i made a lot of really good friends through the initial work that i started doing here in philly that were people that i did not know and that's not easy for everyone and that doesn't always work out uh but a lot of that was like 
saying yes to a lot of stuff, saying yes to whatever I was comfortable with and yeah, then a few things right. I wasn't comfortable with mm-hmm. um, and just kind of hoping for the best. And there are folks that I am friendly with that did not become like friend friends, like tight friends. And then there are plenty of people that, that did work out for. Um, and then, you know, also knowing like as you have the support system to do so, you, something might change after you get your MBA and who knows what's going to happen. Um, but try not to lean too hard into the things that are just yours. Uh, try and try and put yourself out there. That seems very like basic advice, but I don't and, like, know. Vague, but sometimes it can help to hear it from somebody else, I guess. Yeah. And just like if someone expresses interest in doing a thing or, or going somewhere, try to say yes when you can. Mm-hmm. I, I guess it's hard. You, you were talking about like when you make friends in college, like so much of that is circumstantial mm-hmm. and just like, being up for enough stuff until all the chips sort out properly, mm-hmm. um, which can be hard to do again. I totally understand. Yeah, that. right, right. Which is usually what makes it feel like it's harder. Um, yes. Here's one from Grace. You want to hit this one from Grace, Andrew? Yeah. Uh, does it ever feel weird to you guys to think about how people are listening to your voices all over the place in cars, bathrooms, restaurants, etc.? Have you ever heard yourself somewhere where someone was listening to your podcast? Also, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? <laughs> Oh, what kind of tree would I be? I'd be a birch. That's good. That's a I good like answer. The color, I like the color jib. <laughs> Could I be a dogwood? <laughs> yeah. Rough, rough. Yeah, dog. Because they're rough bark. God. All right, answer the <laughs> other one now. Uh, I, is... I have never heard the podcast somewhere where I was. Um, or heard like someone talking about it even. Like, I didn't, yeah. Like a complete stranger, no. I have heard Laura ever listening to it, and she almost immediately turns it off the second that I walk into a room. I ask Susanna to turn it off if yeah. I walk into a room while she's listening to um, it. I've heard it ever playing in the car if like, I've gotten in the car with Susanna sometimes, too. Um, but no, I don't think I've heard a stranger listening to it. Mm-hmm. That would be very odd. Yeah, I think we would need to be maybe an order of magnitude larger yeah. than we are. Like We, we don't do badly i don't think but we're not like a phenomenon level it is still super cool to see random strangers talk about us on the internet oh yeah that's and that's like, super great and the the rung above that for us is when we see folks sharing it to a specific person mm-hmm. like that is really moving and cool yeah um so to see that in the in the real world would be i, I would probably just explode i don't yeah. think i would be able to handle it um, which means I don't I try not to think about where people are <laughs> listening to us. I think about where they're listening because all that's like purely a technical thing for me. Sure, that's just like sure. making sure that it sounds good. Because like if you're that's listening true. if you're listening to a podcast in a car with a lot of road noise, for example, it can be like super, super irritating if it's not mixed well and like everybody's yep. volume levels are all over the place. That's true. Or if you're if you've got your headphones in, like it can be really jarring to like hear somebody bang their leg on something or or do something dumb. So yeah, that's that's the context I think about it in. But I do feel very uh, appreciative and and lucky when folks write in and tell us that they've been listening to us during a specific like activity or time in their life or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, or like they're taking us on car rides or on you know dog walks. That's cool. Um, I like hearing that people listen to our podcasts like during doing the same things that I do when yeah. I listen to yeah. other podcasts. Uh, and a quick note, and then we'll hit the next question here. I was looking at our 
we have like a new hosting backend that gives us some hourly breakdown stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just, I've been seeing some upticks between like 5 and 7 p.m., which to me means it's like dinner time. Yeah, coming like home. Folks are coming home. They're washing some dishes. They're putting some chicken on the skillet. And like, <laughs> let me fire up that overdue. So well, thanks. Those for, guys are all right. Thanks for bringing us dinner, everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's close out with some questions from Albi here. All right, Andrew. Let's um, do it. Let's go. I'm going to go in reverse order. How about okay. that? If you had a baby, would you <laughs> name it Overdue? And could we call it Baby Dewey for short? <sighs> Calling a baby Overdue is just a little <laughs> like Michael Jackson for me. I think like I couldn't call a baby Overdue. But the but doing it so that you could call it Baby Dewey is pretty good. Yeah, I mean. Mm, mm. <laughs> No, just calling a baby a thing because of a pun feels cruel. That's and also, true. like, jokes become less funny with repetition, and you got to hang out with this thing for at least 18 years. Yeah, so. and if that kid became a jerk, like, that could ruin our brand. Yeah. Okay, no, shutting it down. Yeah. We can't let that happen. Um, do you ever list podcasting uh, on your resume, or are you ashamed of it? Uh, no, I have, actually, because it's... Um, it is actually like audio engineering experience sure. and um and research experience and and like, like we we do a lot and, yeah we yeah. do like some web hosting and design and promotion and um yeah it's a, and that's something i feel like we've talked about this before but like if you do have hobbies that you are good at that like give you like put them on your resume. Always put them on your resume because yeah. it it is it doesn't feel like it counts because it's not like work. But if it's quote, a unquote, skill but, that you have developed, yeah, like put put it on there. Don't don't be don't be ashamed of yeah. it. Yeah, and, and I've put and it don't, on. And don't feel like someone is gonna like like the embarrassment aspect sure. of, of the question. Like don't feel like somebody's gonna look at that and be like, oh, podcasting seriously? Because there like there are people who are gonna put podcasting on their resume and it won't mean anything. Yes. But like. If it actually comes up in the interview, like you, you, I don't know, you can you can make a case for it. Yeah, and I working in the arts, it certainly dovetails with a lot of outreach work that I do at the theater. And so, if I'm letting people know about my background for a freelance gig or something, it certainly certainly is valuable. Uh, and last, we'll close out on this one. What are your favorite podcasts to listen to? We are podcast fiends. We do like podcasts a lot. The the biggest one for both of us, I think, is probably. Um, the uh, McElroy family of, of products. Of products. So, <laughs> yes. um, my brother, my brother, and me. The Adventure Zone, Sawbones, um, Wonderful, which used to be called Rose Buddies, is one that I like. That I don't think you listen. I to have as not much. really ducked in. I've not ducked into Wonderful since the rebrand. Yeah, but sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Do we? Is there other For, stuff that we like, both listen to aside from like the Black Hotties? Yeah. Um, criminal. Criminal. I listen. Um, I probably listen to ninety nine percent invisible more than you do. I am. Th- there's uh, on a recent episode of Criminal, they advertised a um, another podcast Roman Mars does, which is like what Trump can teach oh, us con about law. constitutional law, which is actually really really it's a good. Great podcast that I like a lot. It's like his him and his neighbor who is a constitutional law professor who, in in the current era of American politics, let's say. Um, make sure to like check the news feeds and, and Twitter like as she's preparing for class and if like something that is happening is making us think about the Constitution in a different way than we normally do, which has happened a lot lately. Yep. Um, 
she will use that as an example of of like she'll go back and find like old precedent for it and then she'll also say okay here's here's where this has never really come up before yeah, in yeah. the history of the presidency in, in general it does a thing that some of the best 99 pi episodes do is roman mars just kind of gets out of the way he finds a really smart person yeah and just is enthusiastic about how smart they are yeah right oh the illusionist also is, uh is yeah one, the, the is illusionist really good. is good with helen zaltzman um, um my die. There are a bunch that I listen to that I know you don't. I listen to another like actual play podcast similar to the Adventure Zone called Friends at the Table. Yeah, I I tried that and couldn't immediately get into it, but I yes. need to I need to try it again. Um, and there are there are seasons of that show which I like, so you can pick one to dive in that's a little newer because their audio quality gets better, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, I also listen to both of the podcasts from GiantBomb.com, which is like a video game podcast. I've right. been listening to them for longer than i actually follow half of the stuff they talk about (laughs) so at that point it's just an excuse to listen to familiar voices and and keep up with folks that i've been listening to since i got out of college like Mm -hmm. that's just an old habit yeah Um, but those are fun is there anything else that you are um i'll dip into this american life sometimes i'll dip into pop culture happy hour sometimes Mm -hmm. like i have a lot of like second or third tier podcasts that i listen to mostly when my other feeds are dry or when someone um, is like, have you listened to the new episode? It's really good. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, to go, to go back to the, the McElroys for a second, like, because they, they're a lot of their shows, like DNA is in our show just because sure. we mm-hmm. we like them a lot. And um, there's an approach that they have to criticism that I think we like try to replicate like pretty much exactly where... Um, like if somebody comes at them about like a some kind of diversity related question or like something about gender and sexuality that they got wrong or even just like poorly chosen words or just any any of those things that we as like cis het white dudes abled white dudes sure. mm-hmm. will run into um the the impulse for for a lot of people and and I still like my initial impulse is sometimes to get defensive because like you just you feel like oh hey I'm not like I'm not trying to do anything wrong like what's what's your problem I'm just mm-hmm. trying to be a person in the world, um, and their their philosophy has always been to like listen and to be earnest about it and like then try and, and then try to get better yeah yeah and we like explicitly follow like like every every now and again we'll get into something on twitter or something with it with a listener who's brought something to our attention that we just like that we did wrong or that we just didn't think about at all and um and we try to be really like proactive about responding to that stuff and really like like explaining where we're coming from but also like not letting ourselves off the hook mostly explaining to show the work and yeah, then look right. and and be re- introspective ourselves. I think something that is a little more unique to the like conversational podcast from the like produced journalistic podcast is right. that it's way easier to offhandedly brush by something or say a like a colloquial or idiomatic phrase that you don't know you literally just don't know how someone else is going to hear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And it's very easy to get defensive when someone says, hey, it actually, in my ears, it, it means this thing. And it would be really great if you didn't 
say it that way or if you thought a little bit harder about how you say something like that yeah or just like like as a writer and reporter like when i when i'm writing stuff i make sure like proactively to to address like criticisms or like predict what might be taken out of context but in in a spoken medium where you also have the benefit of people being able to hear your tone and in this show specifically, like assuming that most listeners will have some kind of a handle on us yeah, as people after they listen to like half a dozen episodes or so. The odds that we're going to miss something go up sometimes. Well, yeah, and yeah. it's easier to just assume that your intent will be read and understood by the audience completely yeah. in a way that it that it isn't sometimes. Yeah, um, and, and then it can't, it can never be the listener's fault. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not... Not to say that in a way that makes it sound like a burden no, or no, no, no. But, but yeah, it's, just, if someone comes to us with something, it is not their we're not fault. Not going to be like, well, hey, that way. It's, it's, you're you're an idiot for <laughs> listen, not getting listen not to the, picking up what we're putting. You down. Listen to the podcast wrong. I address that in the podcast. Ref, put your earphones in the other ears. You'll get it right. Like yeah. that's not how it works. Ooh. So yeah, the McElroys have influenced a lot of our show. And if you don't, if you don't talk with them, that's cool. But like they, they cuss a lot more than they we cuss do. a lot, and they're. <laughs> but a lot of the silliness that we get into sometimes definitely derives from what we enjoy about those shows mm-hmm. and and what we feel like we have permission to get away with. Sure. <laughs> I don't um, think we've ever explicitly stolen any bits from no, them. No, but, but it is like, like oh, the approach can, is very similar. We can reference sometimes. this thing that's unrelated because we find it funny on weeks where like one of us makes a joke that I know I just heard in a bim bam like two weeks ago. I'll edit it out sometimes yeah. because i don't want we don't want to steal like there was stuff. some there was some week where they and us made like a 10 10 3 2 1 reference oh yeah like the same week and i ended up cutting it out because That's smart i know it was coincidental but also like i don't want them i don't want people to feel like we're just like chomping on off. their stuff yeah. no that's bad news <laughs> um but there i would say that kind of looseness informs why we're, you know, doing a Q&A episode about the podcast that we make. Yeah, there you go. And that's it, I think. I think that's it. So thanks, everybody, who sent in questions. If we didn't get to your question... Um, there were we, tons and tons of good questions that we just couldn't make time for. We might for, try to get to them via email or save them for a future such show. Uh, thanks for sending them in. And thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks for watching if you're watching live or later. Yeah. Um, thanks for supporting the show which makes bonus episodes happen make sure you're listening to the spooktober episodes it's gonna get spooky we recorded the first one today and it is quite spooky pretty spooky (laughs) we've got social media feeds at twitter.com slash overdue pod or facebook.com slash overdue pod we have an email at overdue pod at gmail.com andrew what's the website hit him overdue podcast.com if you're listening to the bonus episode you know what it is yeah whatever you know what it is Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, patreon.com slash overdue pod. If you're listening live, it's because you are a patron and we like you all a lot. We like all of our listeners, but we like the Patreon ones just a tiny bit more. (laughs) Send them out, Andrew. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back sometime soon. And until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.